We have the privilege of being able to share God's word with those who are going to be listening online. Good morning uh, to them as well. Um, we are, as I mentioned before, starting a brand new series called um, Come to Worship. And uh, as we get going, I really would encourage you, as always, to take one of those colored inserts out of your service folder and follow along. I I know that that will be uh, helpful to you as we study God's Word together. As we get going, I wanted to share a little quick story from uh, something that happened to my family a few weeks ago. It was my uh, son's 10th birthday, and Elias chose to have uh, his birthday dinner at uh, Red Robin in Apple Valley. And if you're wondering, you know, why Red Robin or why you should ever go to Red Robin, I will just give you two words that will be enough. Bottomless fries, okay? Bottomless fries. Especially if you have a family of six, I mean, Red Robin is a have to, a gotta just because of that. And we, much more than the bottomless fries, have had good experiences at, uh, at Red Robin. But I, I would say that this last time we were there was absolutely the best experience we've ever had at Red Robin. And if I could summarize the reason, the reason would be the waiter. The waiter that we had was just absolutely awesome. He probably was the best waiter I've ever had, we've ever had at any restaurant. And it had a lot more to do than just that he was nice and he kept the bottomless fries coming and coming. And I mean, you got to understand, we're like a three, four basket family when it comes to bottomless fries. Not so much Carrie, but the rest of us, you know, I'll confess. It was What was it? What was it about this waiter? Well, let me give you a little bit of of stuff that happened over the hour that we were there. The waiter gave all of us high fives a number of times during it because he was just so, I guess, happy and so, you know, engaged in taking care of us. Um, He told us a joke or two. Uh, we, We talked a little bit with him, and I think it came out that Elias does card tricks. And, and no joke, he goes into his man pouch or whatever here, the waiter purse thing, and he, and he pulls it, hey, I know a card trick, and he had cards in his, in his bag on his, on his waist, and he did a card trick for Elias. It was, it was amazing. It was amazing that, that how well he took care of us. Um, during when they bring out the ice cream for the birthday boy, um, that night there had probably been at least 10 other people that were there for their birthday because there was singing going on. And and again, no joke, the song that the waiter sang for Elias with the crew was entirely different than any of the others received. It was like a birthday rap almost or something like that, which made him feel good, I know. And then towards the end, we find out that he's an artist, too. And we got balloons, three of them, and he, was gonna, he drew on their balloons, like amazing pictures. So he asked Elias, I think, what would you like me to draw? And Elias said something like Captain America. And he's like, okay, how about his shield? Okay, so he drew Captain America's shield and then asked uh, Addie, what would you like me to draw for you? And she said, giraffe. And the giraffe that he drew, absolutely amazing. Drew in like a minute 
And she saw it, and it came out basically, what else do you draw? And, uh, and he said, you know, a bunch of animals and said the word monkey, and you've got to understand my daughter, Addie, to understand this. Her response was, well, can I have that instead? You know, and I'm like, shh, don't. He already drew a nice giraffe for you. But again, he complied, and he drew this amazing monkey. Now we had a monkey and a giraffe, and at the end of our meal, um, I made sure to tell him just how appreciative we were for how he took care of us and how he made Elias's birthday um, really special. My question to you as you think about my experience, um, what made that waiter so good? Now, the quick response or answer could be, well, because he did high fives and jokes and new card tricks and was an artist on top of it all. Yeah, that's part of it, but I bet there are other waiters or waitresses that know card tricks, that can draw, that know jokes, but they don't share them. You know what made the waiter so good? He understood what it meant to be a waiter. He understood what it meant to take care of people and to have fun with them. Now, you've probably had a waiter or waitress experience that was the opposite of that, right? Like where you just really knew that the person waiting on you could care less about your table. It's like you have to like, you know, sign a bullhorn for them to come over and ask you how things are doing. And then when you ask them for, let's say, a refill of water or something like that, it's almost like you feel like you're inconveniencing them. Like, really, you want some water? Okay, I guess, you know. I mean, aren't you the waiter? Aren't you the waitress? I mean, we've had those experiences too, right? So the thing about this waiter is he understood that his role was all about the diner. He was the server in that, you know, sphere that is the restaurant, and we were the diner. Let me relate this to your relationship with God. This is a tough question, and you're going to be confused at first. You're going to wonder where I'm going, but it's good for you to wrestle with it. If we were to relate that relationship of diner and server or waiter to your relationship with God, who are you? The diner or the waiter? And who's God, the diner or the waiter? Now, here's why this question is hard, because in some ways you're thinking both, right? There's this amazing passage in the New Testament that says that Jesus Christ came to earth to serve instead of to be served. And so God chose to come to earth and to serve us. God chooses every single day to not just allow us to exist, but he chooses to serve us, to take care of us, to give us the things that we need, to give us breath. God chooses to serve us, but that's not the question I asked. The question I asked is in his very essence, in our very essence, are you waiter or are you diner? Maybe I can ask the question a different way. Does God exist to give you glory? Or do you exist for God's glory and to give him glory? The answer to that question has to go back to the very beginning of time and millennia before that. 
Because before any single one of us ever came into existence, guess who was here? God. God's is, God is so much bigger, so much greater, so much more awesome than you and I will ever be. God is God. And so here's a little bit of a reminder for you that I think you, you might, hopefully will be memorable. When it comes to your relationship with God, God's the creator, you're the waiter. That's how it is. God's the creator. We're the waiter. We exist for God's glory and to give him glory. Now, the reason why that sometimes is so hard is because we almost at times find ourselves falling into this trap to think that God just kind of sits around waiting for us to ask for things. Now, the amazing thing is that he actually listens every time we ask for something, so that's true, but believe me, his role, his bigness is so much bigger than just sort of being our waiter, you know, beck and call, hey, God, God, hey, I need something. His essence is so much bigger than that, and we can at times fall into this trap of, of thinking that God is just here for my glory and my needs and he takes care of our needs, but his essence is so much bigger than that. And so as you consider that, that he's the creator and we're the waiter, I want to kind of give you a way to think about your life, your role, who you are. And if you're a person who's searching, meaning that you aren't quite ready to call yourself a Christian, maybe you're here today because, you know, someone invited you and um, you're just not really sure about all this stuff, I'm going to tell you that the essence of what God says our our role is is going to be at first feeling a little bit all-consuming. Like, really? You might think. But I just want you to to listen. I want you to hold on to your concerns because I'm going to address those a little bit later in the message. But here is what our role is when we really consider that God's the creator and we're the waiter. Our first fill-in. We are here to worship. That's why we're here, to worship him. Now, if I could give you a quick little definition for worship, very easy one, to show reverence and to show glory or honor to God, to show reverence and honor to God. You know why you're here today in this room? To worship. You know why you are here in this building? To worship. And it goes way beyond here. We are here on this planet for the purpose to worship and give glory to God who is greater than us. We are here in 2015 to worship. You go to work. You know why? To worship him in how you act and interact. You go to school. You know why? Yeah, to study. (laughs) To worship God in how you act and interact. We are here on this planet in the good days to do what? Worship. We are here in the bad days to do what? To worship. We are here on the days where we have great health to worship God. We are here in those days where we had a bad health prognosis or someone close to us passes away or we are really sick. We are here to worship. My friends, we need this continual reminder. I know I do. 
that this life is not about me, and God's just along for the ride, sort of asking if we need a refill of bottomless fries. This existence is not about me. My relationship with God, after he has done such great things for us, is all about how we can worship him and show him glory. It's not about twisting his arm to do what we hope he does, what we want him to do. Now, as I mentioned earlier in the service, this entire series is really intertwined with the, the wise men or the magi that we hear about at Christmas time. And a little bit more about them that I wanted to share is to recognize how far they traveled to come and to see Jesus. So likely it was six to 700 mile trip, which for us is probably, you know, six, seven hours. For them, it was months. Not only because of the distance, but because of the terrain. It was a dangerous trip through deserts and so forth, a dangerous trip. And my question for you is, what did they get out of it? Like, did Jesus, when they got there, give them some great words of wisdom or great sermon? Remember, Jesus was little baby Jesus. Probably all that he could say was gaga, right? What did they get out of it? Here's what happened. They came for months of time of traveling. They held Jesus probably for a little while, gave their gifts, and went home. That seems like a whole lot of work for just a little bit short amount of time. Did they come to hold a baby? Why did they come? Let's go back to Matthew chapter 2 going to set the stage for our entire series. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, verse 2, where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have, our series theme is not very original. We stole it from Matthew and from the Magi's words. We have come to worship him. They traveled for months for the reason of worship. That's how important worship was. That was how important what they now understood a little bit of what Jesus had come to do. When they understood that, they responded, how? I want to worship. I want to worship. I want to show reverence and honor to God. And one way to do that was to travel to Bethlehem and to give some gifts. Now, 2,000 years later, how does this apply to us? In week three of this series, we're going to be looking a little bit at how can we worship outside of these walls. But today and next week, we're going to really be concentrating on your and my worship attitude when we come here in this place, God willing, every week. How does the wise men worshiping intersect with us 2,000 years later. There's a tension that we need to manage every time we come to this place. And here is the tension. The tension is between two reasons why we come to Bethlehem, to church. One reason we come is to receive. You know what you're doing right now? In part, you're receiving. 
You're receiving God's word. You're receiving the gospel. A little bit later, many of you will be receiving the gospel in communion. So we come to receive, but we also come to give. And what do we give? Worship. Worship. Notice what we call this time together. We don't call it, I'm going to go to personal spa day. I'm going to go to, you know, get my nails done. I'm going to a place that's all about me. No, I go, we call it worship. We have worship at, here are the times. The challenge is, the tension is, is that I've been pastor long enough, I know my own heart too, that most of the time, that is not where our focus is at first and first. Most of the time when we come to church, Oftentimes, our focus is on ourselves. And here's how I know that, because most of the time, the questions we ask sort of smoke it out. The questions are, did I like that? The questions are, did I get anything out of the message? The questions are, how many of these songs did I like? The questions are, did I feel comfortable These are the questions that as I talk to Christians that they talk about all the time, way more than a different question. Now, before I tell you the different question that I want you to ask, the first thing I'm going to say is those are not totally bad questions. It's okay to be at a church that you feel like you connect with the message. It's okay to ask, did those songs connect with my heart? Or did the words make sense to me? In fact, it better be okay because our vision statement here at Bethlehem is that we're going to share timeless truth in a timely way. Timeless truth in a timely way. So we are all about people having a good experience when they come to what? To worship. But the heart of worship is not me. And the heart of worship is not you. And the better question to start with is not, did I like that? The better question that you have 100% control over is the question, did I worship today? No one can do that for you except you. And no one can take that away from you except you. And it doesn't matter who the pastor is, and it doesn't matter whether message connected, and it doesn't matter what songs are played or what sort of instruments played it. When the name of Jesus Christ is proclaimed and the lyrics are directed towards him, you and I can choose to worship or not. And so the question I want you talking in the car about the first question when you go home. The first question in growth group is not, I'm not sure if I like this. The first question is, did I worship today? Or was I focused on all this other stuff and I missed the worship? The showing reverence and honor to God as I spent time in his house. So here's a truth that if you remember it, is going to serve you well every single week when you go to church. Our next fill-in, Jesus is the focus of my worship, not me. Jesus is the focus of my worship, not me. Now, 
I entitled this message this first week, Potluck. And the reason I entitled it that was not because we're going to be talking about green jello with carrot shavings. I mean, who invented that? I have no idea. Um, And we're not going to be talking about hot dish. What's in it? You never know. It's just hot dish. You just get a whole bunch of stuff, warm it up. It's hot dish, you know. We're not going to be talking about those things. But instead, what we're going to be talking about is what do you do when you go to a potluck? What do you do when you come to a potluck? Here's a clue. You better bring something. You better not come empty-handed because if you have a lot of friends that are organizing the potluck and you didn't bring anything, believe me, they're going to make you feel awkward about it, right? I mean, come on, Kathy. You couldn't even bring a macaroni salad, you know, or deviled eggs or, that's another one, bars, you know, like, it's just like this general term for lots of sweet things. You know, I'm going to bring bars. Uh, it's a potluck dish, a potluck dessert. Uh, couldn't you bring anything? At a potluck, you don't come empty-handed. You need to bring something. What we're going to learn in the short amount of time we have left, when we're, we're going to really quickly go through Psalm 63, we're going to see that God, through David, directs us to bring something. That when we come to worship, we had better bring something. So these words were written by likely, uh, probably the most uh, powerful and and also greatest king of the nation of Israel, a man named David. And he's writing uh, about just his heart and his thoughts. And we, we find it in the Psalms, which is another word for poetry or songs. And listen to these uh, poetic words, beginning with verse one. David starts out, Oh God, you are my God. Stop. If this is the only thing you remember today, it'll be enough. God chose to serve us, but at his very essence, what David is saying is, God, you're so much greater than me. God, your ways are so much wiser than mine. He's stopping just to acknowledge, God, you're the creator, and I'm just the waiter. And from that acknowledgement comes more. Verse 2, earnestly, God, I seek you. My soul, it thirsts for you. My body longs for you. When I, when I hear these words, I think of um, my soccer playing days in college. And uh, after almost every game, I would cramp up. And, and my body, my calves longed for electrolytes, right? <laughs> what David is longing for, his body aches. Maybe you have an aching heart today. His body, his heart, longs for God. It aches for him. In the dry and weary land where there is no water, verse 2, I have seen you, David says, in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. You know what David's talking about here? He's musing on an experience that he had in church. They didn't call it church at the time, the sanctuary, but their, their place of worship was called the tabernacle. And he's musing on a moment a day, a time where he, in some special way, just beheld God's power. Maybe it was through the word that was being spoken. Maybe it was something else. Have you ever had a a time like this? For me, I'll confess, it's always Christmas Eve. 
Like, I love Christmas Eve. The lights are down. The music is awesome. <clears throat> it's awesome every week. Um, the, it's extra awesome on Christmas Eve. The message, God willing, is on point of why Jesus came and what he's done for us. There's just people sing loud. I mean, I've felt this before. Have you? Maybe it's a, a song. Maybe it's a, a message that just really connected, a section of scripture that's really connected with what you needed that day. This is what David's talking about. I was in church once, and I beheld your power and your glory. Verse 3. This is the verse that's been rolling around in my heart and mind all week. And I studied lots of verses this week. I, had, I stud, did a text study on Matthew 2, did a text study on this, and I say this not to uh, make you feel sorry for me, like, oh, Pastor Ben, you had a hard week. You had to study a lot of the Bible. No, I say this to you because I went through a lot of verses, and yet my heart of all the verses just could not get this one out of my mind. And I've prayed, Lord, please help me to just allow God's people to understand the, the depth of this verse, because I'm not going to be able to do it justice. But David says, your love is better than life. We have a lot of things we want in life. We have a lot of goals we want for life. You know that breath you just took? David says, to have God's love is better than that breath. To have God's love in your life is better than anything else you could have. His love is, is better than life. I was talking to my brother Dustin about this verse this week, and we're talking about things that you know, we really like in life. And my brother just only like my brother could do, uh, talked about Black Friday and uh, about this awesome deal he got on um, a Sherpa blanket, which I didn't even know there was such a thing that existed. I knew about Sherpas, I knew about blankets, but I didn't know that, I mean, in essence, he, he was just raving about this type of blanket that, as he says, was so soft and cuddly, it just, you know, just wanted to be in it all day, you know, I just, I just, I want that blanket wrapped around me all the time. And, you know, he was going on and on about the Sherpa blanket as we thought about this verse. Uh, my question for you is, what do you go on and on about? What do you go on and on about? Opportunities at work, maybe. Your kids, it's a lot of that, right? It's okay. Goals that you have, it's okay. the best thing you could go on and on about is God's love. Go on and on about that. Rave about that more than anything else because God's love, David said, is better than even life. <laughs> and two days ago, a couple good friends of a number of our members were taken from this life, some high school boys. And I thought about this verse I thought about how hard it must be for their friends, how hard, even harder it must be for their family. But I also thought, if they knew God's love, that was better than this life. If you know 
God's love through Christ. It's better than life. And Christmas is a perfect time to think about God's love, the deepness of what David was talking about here. Because God's the creator and you're the waiter, but at Christmas time, the creator chose to become the waiter. He chose to serve his creation. The creator serving the creation blows my mind. Amazing. And yet that's the love of God for us. That he would serve us all the way to his horribly painful death. That he would rise again in victory so that we might have hope when someone we love is taken from us, that we might have hope when someday we pass away, so that we might have hope in every instance, every moment. Because why? Because God's love is better than life. I'm telling you, if you allow that to just ruminate in your heart, it's probably going to do the same thing to you that it did to me this week. Verse 3, because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you and I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. So at a potluck, you better bring something. What do we need to bring to worship? You need to bring your praise. Bring praise. Now, I could just give you a verbal definition, but that would be too, much, too easy. So I'm going to give you a verbal definition, but before that, I'm going to give you a picture of what praise is. So I've got two things here. What's in this bowl represents God's goodness and love. What's in this vase represents my heart. And when you and I begin to understand God's goodness and love, and when that connects to our heart, and when the Holy Spirit does his thing in us to change us from death to life, from unbeliever to believer, when we understand how God's love is better than life and his goodness connects in our hearts, you know what results? <laughs> Praise. The bubbles are praise. When God's goodness and love interacts with our hearts, there needs to be praise. And sometimes, if you don't feel so much like praising God today, it's not because there wasn't a reaction, most likely. It's because you've allowed the things of this world, I've allowed the pursuits of this world to put a muzzle over my heart. And I, I, I push those, those bubbles back in there and not let them out. And it's, it's just sin, not allowing the praise to come out. Because when God's goodness and love interacts with our hearts, the reaction is praise. Here's the definition verbally of what we just showed. Praise is a reaction of gratitude for God's goodness and love. When God's love interacts with our hearts, there needs to be praise. And if, if there's not praise coming out, let me just say, it's not, the problem isn't God's love, his goodness. We need to do some searching in our hearts. We need to, to, to do some heart evaluation. 
because praise will react when there's a gratitude for God's goodness and love. Now, there's a lot of ways to praise. In fact, we can praise just like we can worship anywhere and at any time. It's all about is there's this attitude that we have. But David talks about two specific ways that we can praise while we're at church. He says, your love is better than life. I love that verse. And my lips will glorify you. So praise comes from the mouth. It's in what you talk about. It's in what you pray about. Some of you maybe say, you know, I don't sing, and I don't really, you know, like music or whatever, or I don't like that music, whatever. I get it. Now you to work on your lips, though. <laughs> because when there's praise, you don't have to sing loud, but at least your heart better be speaking. Because it ain't about me, it's about him. And there's this other interesting thing that David says that I will praise you as long as I live and in your name the praise will show itself in lifting up of hands. Did you know that the Bible speaks about 50 to 60 times about praise and lifting of hands? It's, it's, it's in a lot of different places of Scripture. And I just, want to ref- I just want to talk about this for a second because it's not necessarily a tradition that you see that often here at Bethlehem. And I want to just get you thinking a little bit about it. So... Um, Why did people lift hands in the Old Testament and in the Bible and in Christian churches still today? There's really two major symbolisms that come with the lifting of hands in praise. And I think the best way to help you remember them is to talk about two main reasons why we lift hands today. I will will kind of act something out and you see if you can uh, get it, okay? So one of the reasons that we lift hands is this. Why? AP just scored a touchdown. Yes. Right? Wiggins just dunked. Yes. My team just won. Yes. We raise hands. Whole stadiums raise hands in victory. You know what the other reason is? Often you think of raising hands together. Get your hands up. Surrender. (laughs) All right. Can't see your hands. Get them up. (laughs) Those are the two reasons that a person might decide to lift hands in praise. Victory and surrender. Victory and surrender. Victory. Oh, God, you are my God, and yet you became my waiter. Thank you for your love and grace. I am now victorious through your victory. I'm also going to surrender. I'm going to surrender my life as a response to your great love for me. Over the years, I've, I've had a number of people ask me about uh, whether it's okay to raise their hands in worship at Bethlehem. Well, people of Bethlehem, what should I tell them? Is it Okay. David said so. Absolutely is okay. It's okay to lift your hands. It's about the praise bubbling over. 
And so if you see someone today or a different day raising their hands in praise, don't judge them. It's okay. If you see a worship leader raising their hands, it's okay. If you see a pastor raising their hands, I got to work your way up, I think. I don't know. I'm not ready for this yet, but, you know, slowly. It's okay. It is okay. Because guess what? It ain't about you. It's about that person and God, and the bubbles are just pouring over. (laughs) David said, I'm going to praise and I'm going to lift up my hands. The same token, if you see someone who doesn't raise their hands when they praise, don't judge them either. Maybe their bubbles just don't pour out that way. It's about what's in here, first and foremost. So I pray that this little last thing will serve you well. This sort of brings it all together, our last fill-in. When we come to worship... That's the title of our series. We come to worship with praise. You need, worship is a, like a potluck in the way that you need to bring something. We need to bring our praise. Did I worship today? And then, is the pastor's, pastor's message okay? You can ask that question. Don't start with it. Did I worship? Did I praise? Next week, we're going to talk about uh, um, something else we should bring to worship. So I hope that you come back. Don't miss it. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time um, that we were able to consider the, the reason why the Magi came to Bethlehem and all that way, and simply to worship, to show you reverence and honor for the great things that your son Jesus would do for them. Lord, may we test our hearts, not only during this time every week, but our entire lives, that we make it all about worship and praise. We know that we're going to mess up. We're going to have bad days. We're going to be grumpy. We're going to some days be more about me than you. We ask you for your forgiveness for that, but then don't let us stay in that spot. Forgive us and then lead us to worship. Lord, we also come to you in prayer today on behalf of uh, families uh, that have been affected by uh, the accident uh, a couple days ago that happened in our community. Um, Especially we pray for the families of Johnny Price and Jake Flynn and for their good friends, some of them being members uh, of Bethlehem and for their families. We just pray that you would strengthen them and encourage them um, with the only peace that can really be had at a time of tragedy like this, that through Jesus Christ, we all have hope, and that this earth really never was intended or is not any longer our eternal home, but instead we have a place to look forward to, a place that, God willing, Johnny and Jake are right now, home with you in heaven. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. At this time, uh, we have an opportunity to 